It's Wednesday, June 12, 2019. I'm Herbie Newell, and this is the Defender Podcast, a daily encouragement to mobilize and equip the body of Christ to manifest the gospel to orphans and vulnerable children. This daily podcast is a ministry of Lifeline Children's Services, and I'm coming to you from Birmingham, Alabama. Well, on May 15th, uh, in the state of Alabama, our governor, Kay Ivey, signed in a sweeping legislation that was passed by both the House and the Senate on in Alabama on an abortion ban that would make abortion illegal to perform, thus penalizing those that perform an abortion. Now, mothers that have an abortion or seek abortion would not be penalized, would not be found guilty of the law, but this would solely be those that are performing abortion. And as expected, uh, all the way from Saturday Night Live to Twitter to Facebook to social media and to many media outlets, everyone weighed in on Alabama's abortion ban. All the way from saying that this was a violation, an attack on women, to those that were praising this bill. Well, we had the opportunity to sit down with Eric Johnston, and Eric was the author of the Alabama abortion ban, the abortion bill. Uh, Eric uh, was was gracious enough to reach out to Lifeline to allow us to be able to testify both in the House and the Senate on behalf of this bill. And I thought we would enjoy listening a little bit to Eric Johnson explain about why this bill is so important and how this bill came to be. Well, I am privileged to have Eric Johnston with us today on the Defender Podcast. And Eric was the author of the abortion bill here in the state of Alabama which uh, we were so proud to see pass and get signed by our governor on May 15th. Uh, Eric passed the bar exam and started practicing law in 1973. And interestingly enough, that was the same year that the U.S. Supreme Court handed down its decision versus on Roe v. Wade, legalizing abortion on demand. Eric has been uh, a constitutional scholar as well as just a defender of religious freedom, helping many ministries, including the one that Lifeline was founded out of, Wells Goble Ministry. Uh, Eric also helped write our articles of incorporation for Lifeline as well as for Save a Life Crisis Pregnancy Centers. Uh, he also helped write the Alabama Human Life Protection Act, uh, which we are talking about mostly today which provided that abortion would be a felony, uh, except where there is a serious risk to the mother's health. Uh, while the law was sent, uh, we do expect, uh, as already attacks have been made against the law legally, that hopefully and prayerfully it will go before the Supreme Court and would attack some of the presuppositions made on Roe. So Eric, uh, with that, obviously you live in Birmingham with your family and you attend Briarwood and have been just such a staunch defender of, like we said, life and religious liberty and freedom. Uh, tell us about why this abortion bill is so important. Well, uh, Nerby, thank you for, for discussing this with me. It's important because for 46 years we've suffered under Roe. Mm. And I say suffered because it takes the lives of so many unborn children. And we've not had many opportunities. In 1992, the Casey decision was handed down, which we thought was going to reverse Roe, but it did not. And so since then, this is the first time uh, where there may be factors that allow us to have a meaningful review of Roe. Mm. So that's why it's so important that we do the law the way we did it. Mm. A number of other states have been doing heartbeat bills and, and other variations of bills. Uh, they are all thinking the same thing, just like New York, on the other hand, is thinking the same thing, mm. and they're putting abortion legal for nine months. Mm. So, you know, we see that there's some factors come together here that gives us this opportunity, and that's why it's important right now. Yeah, and also, I know one of the things that you and I discussed, even before the bill was brought before the House and the Senate, 
was if, uh, by God's grace, Roe v. Wade was struck down, Alabama didn't have a law to know what do we do with Roe v. Wade. So it, it would become, therefore, a state issue. And so that's why we see so many states making those decisions. I know one of the politically charged moments in our abortion bill was when the Senate included a rape and incest clause, and then it was brought down by our uh, attorney gen- or our lieutenant governor, uh, struck that down, and there was a lot of wrangling. It was delayed for a week. Why is it so important, both from a legal standpoint, but also from a Christian worldview standpoint, that that exclusion be taken out? Well, that went to the very heart of the bill, because this bill in its legislative findings uh, makes it clear that the unborn child is a person. Mm-hmm. Roe v. Wade said the unborn child is not a person within the meaning of the U.S. Constitution. And because of that finding, we have to say that it's a person. Mm-hmm. We have to attack Roe at its very roots, and that is why we say it's a person. But when you say, well, we're going to make an exception for rape and incest, mm-hmm. that assumes, does it not, that maybe those children conceived that way are not persons? But they really are. It doesn't matter if you're conceived through consent, by accident, rape, incest, or artificial insemination. The product is a human being. And so when you say, well, we want a rape and incest exception because those are very emotional, traumatic, bad circumstances, yes, they are. Mm -hmm. But you don't compound those circumstances by aborting a woman's child. I think at that point you provide assistance to that woman and support for her and her baby, whether it's adoption or keeping her baby or whatever it might be. Uh, so when that exception was proposed, it sounded good, mm-hmm. just like President Trump said he was for that exception, and, and Kevin McCarthy, the House Minority Leader, says he's for that exception, even Pat Robertson. Mm-hmm. But they don't understand. Mm-hmm. The, they, they, they haven't read the bill and they haven't studied the history of what we're trying to do, and we're trying to say the unborn child is a person entitled to protection mm-hmm. since the beginning through its entire nine months and then, of course, after it's born. It's still a person during that whole time. And so we couldn't have a rape and incest exception. That would destroy our argument. Yeah, and I think that's what is so important. And like you said, so many commented on that in the national media, obviously on social media, uh, because while it may not seem like a compassionate thing to do on the offset, uh, we're talking about obviously that this life, no matter how the life got there, no matter what conditions the life is, it is a life and needs certain protections. And so talk about even, as we've seen some of these fetal heartbeat bills, which, you know, we're glad that there's something as opposed to nothing. There's really kind of two camps right now on the get to the Supreme Court with Roe v. Wade. And one is that fetal heartbeat and one is the personhood like we have in Alabama. What are the difference between these legally? And why why do you see what we did in Alabama as the the way to go? Well, factually, there's about maybe six or eight weeks difference. You sacrifice that many lives if you go with the heartbeat bill because heartbeat is maybe eight or ten weeks. Some say six weeks, but it's very difficult to get a heartbeat at that early time. Uh, both heartbeat bills and our bill, and let me, maybe I need to give the definition of what a person is in our bill. Our bill uses the definition from our homicide code, Alabama's criminal law code, that says that a, a person is anyone, including an unborn child, from in utero, regardless of viability, forward. And in utero, we mean when the uh, fertilized egg is implanted in the uterine wall. That provides a basis for a prosecuting attorney to determine someone was pregnant. Mm. You know, we all may say, well, we believe conceptually that conception is 
you know, when life begins. And, and philosophically, that's probably true. But you can't prove conception, mm -hmm. and you're certainly not going to go out and have abortions thinking you've conceived. Mm -hmm. But after the egg is implanted in the uterine wall, then you, the prosecuting attorney is able to prove that there's a crime that took place if an abortion is done. And so when, when, we, when we have that kind of a definition, we're beginning maybe ten, two weeks after you know, uh, sexual intercourse because that's about the time, sometime within there, give or take a few days, it would have been planted and it could be found. The heartbeat bill, on the other hand, starts at maybe eight or 10 weeks. And so when we analyze this, the, you know, the heartbeat bill had been around since 2011. Mm. And I never was crazy about it. It was a good idea. It was a chipping away, as they might mm -hmm. say, a, a, you know, just a step-by-step -step approach at trying to reverse row. Uh, but it did not get any traction. It was introduced here several years and never got out of committee. Mm. Uh, and it's just because it, the pro-life community was not really behind it. Uh, a number of states think it's a good idea, and that's fine. And it's, you know, it's a good idea along with our bill because both of those bills uh, prohibit abortion prior to viability. And Roe v. Wade and then Planned Parenthood v. Casey hold that you cannot prohibit abortion prior to viability, mm. which is maybe 20 weeks, 24 weeks, a four-week margin of error. And so the heartbeat bill would be pre-viable, just like our bill is pre-viable. Mm. And so... If you're going to be pre-viable and you go below the row standard, which would you know be a you know an affront to row, why not go the whole way right. and say this is a person, and we're not going to sacrifice eight or ten weeks, and we're going to protect those, and uh, you know we don't know what law will get to the Supreme Court, if any. They mm -hmm. may decide not to review this, but I think so many states are passing so many laws mm -hmm. that it's almost going to require the Supreme Court at this point. Mm -hmm. There's so much publicity, so much focused on it. Not that that compels the Supreme Court of the United States to do anything, but I think and I hope that we are a point in the history of this issue that the Supreme Court will have a meaningful review of the Roe decision. So one of the things that I know, even as we looked at this bill, there are always unintended consequences of legislation. And when New York passed the, the far sweeping bill that it did on the other side of this, uh, there have already been court cases that have been dismissed where pregnant women were murdered and therefore the baby was also killed where they can only prosecute now for the mother's life because that legislation, while trying to protect abortion, actually uh, did so much more. And so one of the reasons that I love the bill that we did is because the unintended consequences are great. It means that a baby is now protected and not just from an abortion, but also in a criminal murder trial. We, we kept that Alabama law strong. That, that's right. You know, we have what's called the Brody Act. It was passed, oh, 10 years or so ago um, when the Lacey Peterson murder took place mm -hmm. in California. She was pregnant. Her husband was charged with a double murder. At that time, it would not have been mm. in Alabama, and we got that law passed. And it had an exception for abortion. So now what we're doing is we're removing that exception, mm. and so the unborn child is going to be protected throughout that entire time. Mm. And, you know, that, that the mother, uh, by the way, let me point out, the mother is not prosecuted under this law. Right. Uh, it's not likely she's going to try to abort herself. Uh, some may try to do that. And back alley abortions are not not a sound argument under this law because it's a class A felony. First mm. time you get caught is 10 years in prison. Mm. So, you know, it's not going to be worth it. The, the prices aren't, you know, the money's not good enough for someone to regularly do that because if you do it more than once, you may end up 99 years in prison. Mm. 
So that, I think that's a good criminal deterrent, but the woman is not prosecuted. Mm. And, and that's not inconsistent. The state can decide who to prosecute on, you know, for crimes and who mm. not to. And we have compassion for the woman. We want to reach out to women and help them in this circumstance. And the Alabama Pro-Life Coalition has always done that. On any bill we've passed where there was a criminal penalty, we always had the exception for the, for mm. the, mom, the mother, the woman. Um, and there's one other misconception while I'm thinking about it. I've heard a lot of it lately that the woman, that women can be prosecuted in Alabama under this law for having a miscarriage. Mm. Well, because the woman is exempt from prosecution, if she has a, a miscarriage or if she presents in an emergency room and she's had an attempted abortion, she's still not going to be prosecuted. Right. So the distinction between, a, say, a medical or chemical abortion and a, and a miscarriage or maybe difficult to mm. determine. It may be impossible in, in most circumstances, but the woman's not at risk. Right. So that's just a red herring meant to make this law look like there's something wrong with it or something bad with it. Yeah. And I mean, even that's a great transition because I know not only are you an attorney, but you're also a believer uh, and a strong member at Briarwood and have been very vocal and have served so many years in the Alabama Pro-Life Coalition. What can us as believers do? So we have this bill that's been passed, but practically, what are some steps that believers can now do to reach out to these women to show them love and compassion? I think that's the next obvious step. And, and while this bill is now law, will not go into effect for a while because of the lawsuits, and it could be two to three years before that's finally resolved, um, particularly if it does stand up and continue to be a law. The next step for us as compassionate, pro-life, Christian, people who want to protect life, we need to turn and help the mother, mm -hmm. too. We need to reach out to women. And, of course, Save a Life does that. The, the, the uh, pregnancy care centers all over the state and all over the nation. Uh, Lifeline does that by providing alternatives and counseling. Those things and other similar ministries need to be expanded. Uh, they need to be expanded by uh, nonprofit organizations, uh, through you know private funds, mm. uh, I think the government needs to step up and, and examine their laws uh, for Medicaid and other mm. things where, where women in these situations need help. We are so often accused of being unfeeling toward the woman. Mm. That's what the other side says, but they have to say something. Mm. But we need to prove to them that that's not correct. And I think the evidence of the operation of Save the Lives and Lifeline mm. through all these years is that we do care about women. And so I think now churches, they've not been in the fight as much as they should have. Churches need to step up and within their own church and their own outreaches and through their own ministries and ministries they support, reach out to women, fund opportunities where people can help women and show them that we do love and that we do care for them. Those are things that are coming in the future, and I think we need to start with that right now. The, when we were in the House testifying on this bill, uh, one of the Democrats on the committee was Pebble Warren, and she's from Wilcox County. And I actually thought, and I believe she abstained from the vote, uh, that she had uh, not necessarily a good argument against the bill, but she made a, raised a really good point, which was in Wilcox County, that they have so many single-parent uh, families, and they have so many kids that seem to be unwanted. What are things that we as believers can do as well, not just for kids that are in the womb and fight for them and, and help come alongside those women, but how can we also on the other side, both legislatively through our government and as well as through our churches, care for these single these kids in single-parent homes? 
I think through, through outrage, and let me say something I thought was ironic, because I sat in that meeting and she made that little speech. For the two years prior to this year, uh, Ms. Warren introduced legislation to remove the protection church daycare ministries have from state regulation. Mm. We've had an exemption for church ministries like that for, well, since about 1982, I think it is. And there's a lot of federal money now coming through grants and so forth, and part of that effort is that um, all daycares be regulated, including churches. It was just ironic that she was preaching to us about reaching out and helping children when just two years ago, for the last two years, she was trying to take away uh, a ministry that would help children. And we discussed on many occasions with her and others that churches would give scholarships to children who couldn't afford to come to the daycares. And I think, you know, that's important that we, you know, recognize those needs in the, pure, in the poorer communities and, and help them and let, and let the churches know, that, you know, we're not hypocrites. Mm -hmm. You know, we want to help. And they have to understand that. It's, it's, a, it's going to be a difficult task, but it's, a, I think, a necessary one. And then, I guess, last, as we think of our churches and as believers that are watching what will unfold over the next two to three years as court cases uh, go around this bill and other heartbeat bills in other states, one, how can we be praying for you and for others who are defending this bill and, and in the, the midst of those fights? And then two, what are other practical things that we can do uh, just legislatively or speaking out so that others will defend this bill? Yeah, praying for uh, you know, a victory that we will follow through with this mm -hmm. and finish very well. Uh, you know, as Christians, you know, we believe in the power of the Lord. And, and we saw it in the legislative process, how quickly this bill came through the process and without those amendments and went to the governor and signed it the very next day. Mm -hmm. There was never uh, any doubt in our mind. Mm -hmm. I never had any doubt that this bill was not going to come through clean. Mm -hmm. That was our goal. So we see the power of prayer and then you know, the participation of the Lord overseeing it all for us. And I think that needs to continue now for the lawyers who will be involved in, in defending the law. They'll be from the state attorney general's office. We need to pray for Steve Marshall. Mm. He said that he'll defend the law, and, and he's an able defender, and uh, he's pro-life. I think he'll do a very good job. Uh, we need to pray for the people on his staff that will be doing most of the work. Uh, and then just for the process, for the minds of the judges, that things will go in a proper way and be done all decently and in order, as Scripture says, that, that we get to the point where we need to get to. And in the end, yeah, be praying that the Supreme Court of the United States will review Roe v. Wade and see, as Justice Thomas has said so often, there's no constitutional basis for Roe, uh, and, and that they will actually reverse Roe and restore personhood to the unborn child. And then, um, practically, you know, the things that we can do, because it may take two or three years, uh, there was a bill this year, and I don't think it's going to make it through. There's only a few days left in the session. It was hard, the uh, born alive rule that if a, a baby is born during abortion alive, then they have to save that baby's life. And amazingly, the, uh, the Democrats in the Alabama legislature opposed that, mm -hmm. just as they've done in many other states when it's a live human being laying there on the table. Uh, we need to continue with th that kind of legislation that does not hurt our effort on, on this main bill, but things in the, in the interim that need mm -hmm. to be done. Uh, and any other things that we can do, mm -hmm. uh, as we talked about earlier, to help women and to minister to them and demonstrate so that the rest of the world knows we're not just wanting to save the babies, we want to 
remedy a situation. Mm-hmm. And after 46 years, you know, it's going to be the moths have eaten a lot. We've got a lot of work to do. Amen. Well, as we close, I was thinking of this quote that a dear friend of mine commented, and uh, she actually was raped um, and decided to parent her child, went through nine months of pregnancy, and then is now even parenting her child that is a teenager uh, and will start his senior year of high school. And Mm -hmm. she said, my soul weeps. I can't even fathom this. As a woman who bore a child from rape and has been unbelievably blessed by him, I cannot conceive of such evil as abortion. But having also been in unplanned pregnancy, I know how crafty the enemy is. I know how easy it is to believe his lies. Only because of the abundant grace of God, my son is here. I was weak even as a believer, so my heart breaks for those who don't know him yet. I am praying without ceasing. And so even as we look at this law, let's pray for those women who are in the midst of unplanned pregnancies, that they would have the strength and the power, and that they would know that these laws are not anti-woman, but these are pro-woman, pro-child, pro-life bills that are for whole persons to know the gospel and the, the, the strength of the gospel and the strength of Christ Jesus. So Eric, thank you so much for the ways that you defend freedom, the ways that you defend life, and just such a testimony that we need every believer in every field and every aspect uh, defending life. Thank you. Appreciate it. Well, I hope that you have enjoyed uh, listening to Eric Johnson, this interview with Eric. I do want you to pray on July 31st, we will be releasing uh, a book from Lifeline entitled Image Bears that will tackle many of these important life issues and a whole life pro-life ethic. We hope that you will pick up a copy of Image Bears. If you uh, would be interested in receiving a copy when it is released, email us at info at lifelinechild.org and we would be grateful to give you a copy of that book when it's released as a faithful listener to the Defender podcast. And in the meantime, let's be praying for this bill as it is being attacked and hopefully finds its way to the Supreme Court as well as other legislation throughout our country that's being made today to protect life inside the womb. Well, thanks for listening to the Defender Podcast. For more information or to connect with me, please visit HerbieNewell.com. To partner with Lifeline, visit LifelineChild.org. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook by searching for Lifeline Child. You can email us directly at info at LifelineChild.org. Beloved, will you allow God to use the gospel through you to impact the life of a child? Please contact us because we are here to defend the fatherless. We'll see you again tomorrow for the Defender Podcast.